0: You're listening to Joe Dalton on Dublin South FM, crossing the Rubicon. Yes, folks, it's uh, another week, uh, another week in Ireland, another week in the world, and we are living the COVID dream. Things are really changing around the world. And in that, uh, there's a lot of talk about blockchain. There's a lot of talk about digital footprints. There's a lot of talk about monetization, especially online. And I decided to ask a friend of mine to come on and talk about all this. We did a TED talk together and um, he had a great story and you've got to check that out. And I'll let him fill, tell you about that later on in the interview. And I'll let Laurie introduce himself as well. Well, thank you very much for having me on. Um, great opportunity. So I appreciate it. Laurie, tell the people who you are. I... Um,
1: I, um, my name's Laurie. I uh, born and raised in, in Dublin here in Ireland. Um, I have spent most of my career uh, as a management consultant working in Accenture for the folks who, who know that company, and then also in Deloitte, and then helped start a blockchain technology startup here in Dublin. Um, and I also do some lecturing with Trinity College Dublin. And that's
0: Yes, that's Anne Forbes. You are a contributor to Forbes as well.
1: Yeah, a very bad one because I'm yet to write an article, but that is, uh, I'm, I'm rectifying
0: that. Uh, these things happen on it. It's, <laughs> Trinity College is great. Uh, I've been a trusted advisor to Trinity College there with one of their uh, programs with their students and their stu- the guys that we were mentoring and coaching, they, won, won the, uh, they got first prize and got a big bag of cash as well for the company. So At the moment, the world um, is really sort of changing. And before we, we started the show, we were talking about digital currency. Personally, myself, I haven't used cash for years. The reason why I don't use cash is one is I don't have any. And the second one is that... If I have cash, I lose it. My wife is terrified if I take out 50 euros because she knows by the end of the day, I've either spent it all or I've literally lost it, lost it, right? So it's handy for me, card, keeps me in checks and balances. What are your thoughts at the moment, the way with COVID and the way the development of cash being pushed away and more of the digital numbers are coming in?
1: Yeah, look, the way I look at it and think about it is, is it's very much it's it's evolution, not revolution. So um, for those folks who are, I guess, my vintage, it was, you know, back in the day, you had a Walkman, the tech got better Then you had a Discman, the tech got better. And then you had a mini disc, which I thought was absolutely amazing at the time. You know, you could have 40 songs and it didn't skip unless you were really jumping up and down. And then... Then it moved to an iPod, and then now we have iPhones and all of those things are you know incremental improvements and innovation um, that have made our lives better in my opinion and I think we 're seeing this slowly come about with cash where we're seeing a, an evolution of paper money to digital money. And it even goes back when people were bothering with shells and stuff like that were actually physical pieces of gold. So we're seeing this evolution of money in the same way other products and services have gone through that evolution. So now we pay for things digitally. Um, I pay for something today with cash. First time I'd done it in Aegis. Um, I think the person was a bit shocked when I actually went to pay with cash because they didn't really know what to do with it because no one really uses it
0: anymore. Okay, but here's one thing as well. The way it's evolving and with blockchain coming in as well, do you think blockchain is going to play a big part in our currency as well moving forward? Yeah, look, what do I I think there? I think...
1: You know, blockchain is the technology which makes cryptocurrencies work, whether that's Bitcoin or Ether or any of the other ones that are it's out there. Bigger than that.
0: Blockchain is bigger than that. Like, I I, I believe that blockchain in years to come will be used for a voting system.
1: I, I hope so. To be honest, I think that's a fantastic application of technology. Um, and it would have been great to have that perhaps in the US for the upcoming election in the coming weeks. But um, at the moment the the big applications that are really successful um for blockchain as things stand is actually it's cryptocurrency it's bitcoin um is the number one application globally of blockchain technology and bitcoin is, is like for me it's it's just so interesting there's it's a computer protocol designed f- for one person to be able to transfer a monetary value on a person to person basis no matter where they are in the world without going through a bank or a central bank um It's designed so there'll only ever be 21 million Bitcoin ever created. And the last Bitcoin will be actually produced in 2143. Um, And all of this is built in into the computer program. So you can't change it.
0: With with, with blockchain, I remember when blockchain came out, I was mm -hmm. sitting in a car driving in England and it came on the BBC that this new coin has come out. It's, it's, It's a digital currency and you could buy one. I could have been 32p or something Mm. for this, you know, it was, it was, and I look back now and I say, why didn't I look into that and buy some, you know, and sometimes you hear these things and they just go over you. And later on you go, I should have, I should have had a bit more cop on then. Mm-hmm. I know hindsight's a
1: fantastic thing look and I'm in the same boat there I, I bought a little I should have bought a lot more and look there's there's a bunch of people I know who've done very well and some of who've actually retired you know in their in their 20s believe it or not Um based yeah, on some yeah some yeah. plays they made but
0: um yeah but then there's some people that bought them and lost their keys and threw out their computers 10 years later and now realize they're their digital key was on a pc that's in a skip somewhere and no i know for sure for sure you know when we think when people think blockchain they think cryptocurrency but that's what i said it's a lot more it's going to be used for a lot of transactions it's going to be you know but we've seen it already in ireland that we've seen that it's been used for purchasing property We've seen that uh, people are using it for booking holidays. I know that people in companies who are trading or buying um, in foreign lands are using crypto. And, And you said it there that it's bypassing the banks and it's bypassing the central banks as well. Is that a scary thing for governments to see that this is happening? Or will they embrace it and go, we need to get into this as well? Very good question, and I think the answer
1: is is both um so anything any change in all of our lives, people are resistant and scared of change and, and myself as well um but ultimately, what blockchain represents is a new infrastructure that enables people to exchange value on a person to person basis and that that threatens the status quo. And that's what, for me, excites me about the technology, but also that threatens a lot of existing businesses, whether they be banks or all sorts of other companies. And so to your point, I think governments and central banks are very wary of Things that change uh, society at an infrastructural level. So, the answer to to that question is, you know, are they wary of it? The answer is yes. And their immediate response is, we're not going to let things change quickly. So, what they do is they set up working groups and they invest in research to understand it. And then they look to control it. Now, in fairness, I'm not saying that's a bad thing because ultimately, especially regulators and central banks, what they're trying to do is they're trying to ensure that the financial system that we all use, whether it's to get mortgages or or get loans for houses, whatever it may be, um, that we actually we're able to do those things and that the the customer is protected in a lot of instances and that the banks are behaving appropriately and there's oversight. So that's a good thing. So when a new technology comes along, which threatens to change that, of course, the central bank will go, we need to understand, or the regulator will say, we need to understand this before we can approve it or use it or let other companies use it. Now, the second question you ask around, are they going to use it themselves? And the answer from what I'm seeing more and more is that the answer is yes, but it will be in time. So what they want to do is they're not going to suddenly throw out one system and implement a new system. They're going to evaluate the pros and cons and merits of blockchain technology. And then they will roll it out and implement it slowly over time so that the benefits can be achieved of, you know, if it's processing payments at a cheaper rate, at a faster rate. So I'm able to send money, Joe, to you where instead of it costing 20 cents, in my case, it might cost two cents. Um, so that's definitely a big thing that they're, that they're looking at.
0: I hear rumors at the moment about two elements. I'm not too sure. I've only just heard about it and I'm going to look into it at a later date. Um, The quantum financial system and uh, SARS uh, finance as well. Have you heard about them or are they just the beginning of something like blockchain or cryptocurrency was... Yeah, look, I, what I would say from a tech perspective,
1: whether it's quantum computing or blockchain and, and, and you know, all, all sorts of other technologies that we could put in there, AI and machine learning, is that we we really overestimate the impact that a technology will have in 12 months, um, but we underestimate its impact over you know, five plus years. And I think it's really true with blockchain technology. So um, a lot of people thought that blockchain would be rolled out and be globally implemented um, across multiple governments and institutions. But that's not the way an infrastructural technology works. So a lot of people far more intelligent than me would say that, you know, blockchain is, is quite similar in terms of adoption and penetration to the Internet. So the Internet came out in the mid 90s, but it really didn't take off, you know, for another five, six, five, six years, you know, Um,
0: and then rapidly grown in those five, six years. Like if you, it's like someone said to me in another interview, look where we are with technology. We've been driving roughly around the same sort of cars for the last 20, 30 years, but Mm -hmm. look at the, the technology of a phone. It's rapidly changed. And all that software development, and that's to do with AI and, you know, looking at the consumer. It's like this. The internet, when it first came out, which you said, was unknown territory. It was adventurous. It was a place that we we explored. And now all it is, is just monetization. It's about how can we sell to this person and make a book? it used to be for me i look at it as i look as the internet as a library you know it's instead of walking down to the local library this is a digital library with all the information that you can find but it's now there's monetization involved in it as well
1: yeah no totally agree and like if if... Uh, to correct myself and the point I made there now, like the internet, you know, came about in the seventies um, and the eighties, but it really it only really took off in the nineties. What they say about blockchain technology is that the internet, as we currently know, it, is the internet of information. So it's definitely, as you say, it's that it's that a catalog of information or library when blockchain is meant to be or purported to be um, the internet of value. So it's about exchanging value and and monetization Um and that is a big part of it, but trying to do things cheaper, better, faster without going through all these intermediaries or entities that, stuck it, that stick in the middle, that take a clip or a percentage of each transaction, which then makes buying things more expensive than they need to be or take longer than they need to be. And this is why people are very interested in blockchain technology, because what it's meant to do is it's meant to connect companies on a or individuals on that person to person or what they call peer to peer basis.
0: Well, looking at it then and looking at digital identity and there's a lot of sermongering going on at the moment that, you know, contact tracing and, you know, our privacy has been taken away. And if you look at your TEDx talk, which you talk about that and you sort of say, well, look, I'm on this anyway. Why don't I get paid for this? Has that taken a bit of a twist from the time that you did that talk to what's going on with COVID and digital identity now? Because there has to be a point where you have to say, "No, I I am sovereign in my own body, and I don't want to share any of my information with you."
1: Yeah, look, I th- I think COVID is is probably um, I think put the area of digital identity more into focus. I think the the Chinese government has done. Uh, incredibly interesting work in this space. And I know there are different political situations and scenarios um, between, let's say, Ireland or the EU and, and China. But what China has is that they effectively have digital identities in place and then they're able to, I guess, track people's movements accordingly. And then they're effectively able to roll out track and trace systems far easier than we are. And therefore, when it comes to COVID, they're able to control people's movements, updates,
0: um, in a far more effective way. They had contact tracing before even COVID came out. Mm. And some people are saying that if you go out without your phone, you, you would, you could get in trouble that you had to have your phone with you. Like it was like your, your travel papers or whatever as well. So that's what I said. There has to be an element of you're going no. And yes, I do Yes, I agree with that. But I don't have. To, I don't need to be with me twenty four seven.
1: Well, look, I, I think it's crazy. I saw another, you know, thing um, in relation to delivery drivers in China, where you were able to see not only where, and we all do this here in Ireland, you're able to see where the delivery driver is. You know, you order your food, and you can see how close or you're far taxid. away they are. Yeah, exactly right. But so what they've done now in China is that you're able to see the temperature of the delivery driver to make sure that you're happy that their temperature is, let's say, below 38 or below 37, as the case may be, which I thought was, you know, a bit scary, but also mind bending. And um, so I think the key thing here, and Steve Jobs talked a lot about this as well, when it comes to people and their identity and their, you know, Personally identifiable information. The key thing is is that companies need to ask and keep asking all the time. Are you okay for me to share information with you? Are you okay for me to kind of store information on you? And that you need to keep constantly. And that's why when we're flicking through websites, we're now constantly ask: Do you accept? Do you accept? Do you accept? Because that is under now under GDPR. That's uh, and data protection. That's what has to be done. So for me, I, I think I think. My TED Talk was really of trying to open people's eyes to the extent that we are being monetized and to make people aware that that's what's happening. Now, if they're okay
0: with that, that's fine. But it's just, just to make people aware. Here's the thing that with GDPR as well, it made us kind of go, "Okay, get your house in order. You have to, you know, you can't be storing all this information. And then COVID kicked in. And that sort of changed. Now you're willingly giving your data, your name, your address, your telephone number to a waitress or someone in a shop or whatever it may be. So is, is that like a double-edged sword? You're not to do it this way, but now it's acceptable to do it. Good point. And that is, I guess,
1: you know, that's up to you as an individual to make that decision. Um, at least you're being asked rather than your phone um, hitting a geofence in that restaurant and your data being picked up automatically um so at least you're being asked i also think i suppose during covid times um we're we're trying to act together um for the safety of one another so i think it probably makes a bit more sense that information is being shared and we're also being asked to download that you know the covid tracing app so they can do the same thing which is great technology developed by, by nearform an irish company um so like for me on that one um i think uh, In Ireland, they try to bring out um, the public services card and they try to attach more and more identity-based services to that, to which a lot of people um, rejected. Um, So I think the whole area of identity and digital identity is one which will eventually happen. Um, It's happened in other countries in a far greater way than Ireland, but I think it requires very careful communication and messaging from the government as to, why it's happening, when it's happening, and what are the benefits as opposed to, for me, sometimes it could feel like um, they're trying, the government is trying to sneak it through and then people naturally get, I guess, a bit wary of that. And then the
0: easy answer becomes no. Transparency, I think is, yes. what they, I think it's one of the issues that I've always found when people are trying to bring something into policy that they're not too sure about, and there's lack of transparency and lack of debate. Instead of going, we're going to do this, there should be debate because you're talking about individuals. We're talking about families. And I've noticed as well through the years, like my years of wisdom, if you would call it that, that (laughs) sometimes decision makers make decisions based on their own surroundings. So they make a decision, but they forget to make the decision of the person that has the baby, or the person that has the teenager, or the person that's married, or the person who is old. It it only revolves around their inner inner circle, and that's how we're influenced on making our decisions. And I, and that's why you need stuff to be debated and need to have transparency because when you have all those elements from all those other people, you get a better picture of how you sh- what needs to be done and how it is to be presented to the public as well. A hundred percent. And that for me is, you know, like that's the
1: definition of democracy. And I, in many ways, and after listening to the radio here in Ireland and and in different stations around the world, that, that, you know, a good, um, having solid media where they question the government, um, not in a nagging way, is a really positive
0: sign of a working, like of a working country. Um, well, someone someone who is in the news world, um, I was asking them uh, some information about journalism and political journalism and, you know, investigative journalism. And I said, who would you say are the top guys in Ireland? And they kind of went, we've lost an awful lot of them. A lot of them have passed away. Um, if you're looking for some people, look to... B B C but mm-hmm. and I, I when they said that to me I kinda of went, you know, investigating journalism, have we all just decided just to agree with everybody all the time?
1: No, <laughs> no, I, I don't I, I don't think so. I think there's some you know, there's definitely uh, and and forgive me for your listeners who aren't in Ireland and we're getting a bit ar- I- Iro centric, but um, I think there's some great journalists out there that will will go um and challenge the politicians. whether that's Mary Wilson uh, who's now on Morning Ireland, or it's Claire Byrne.
0: Uh, well, I think there's a bunch um who will um let people know their thoughts. G- getting into the digital identity, you suggested as well, and. The company wants to advertise to us and stick on their face in front of our phone. Should should we not get um, a small percentage of the pie as well? And, and for me on that one, I think the answer is yes. And
1: I think uh, in the in the I won't say it's weeks or months, but I think it'll be years. In the years to come, I think we will be individually monetized for our data being shared so when you sign up to a specific social platform um, if you do so you'll get the use of that platform but if your information is shared you will then be rewarded now don't get me wrong especially at the start you are not going to be making big bucks out of this right because that's how the social media players make their money it's out of us and what we do but um there will be ways where you are incentivized to either engage with the platform Um, or bring more people onto the platform. And then in turn, you will get some form of recognition or loyalty points, as you said. So that for me is, is something that will happen um and i imagine if you're a big social media platform like like i'll no, just like facebook um they're trying not to start that because once you start down that road you can't unwind it you can't start giving people stuff and take it take it back very much like the uh i guess the the pa- uh, pandemic unemployment payment that was 350 euro a week very hard to give that at 350 and then bring it back to 300 of course you're going to frustrate people so i think um facebook I'm sure has thought about this and I'm sure has many different business plans in place as to how and when they'll start operating on that basis.
0: And to our American listeners as well, which tune into the show, Mm. you know, Facebook and Twitter might not be around (laughs) in the next couple of years or they might be something totally different to what they are now censorship what's your what's your thoughts on on what's going on with those big uh platforms and then you know in censorship as well yeah look what do i
1: see there's a lot of talk about antitrust and you know i guess facebook and google being broken up and i think that will take years is the first thing that i would say but i, I do think it'll happen in some form um but it will take years and i think even when they're broken up the broken up companies will still be gigantic so uh, I think,
0: you know, lots yeah. of very, very... I think in, it, it'll it never be broken up. What happens is it's split and then mm. you have two two companies growing on it as well. So Exactly, exactly right. Um, and, I, and I must
1: disclose to, to you and all your listeners, I use Facebook and I use Instagram and I use LinkedIn. And I use Twitter. So I, I don't want to come across like I'm some hermit who doesn't use digital technologies or platforms. I do. <laughs> Um, I'm just. I'm really interested as to where they go to. Like even Facebook, I think announced just today that they've entered the the dating app game. They were going to bring this out, I think, last year and for different reasons. And I think there was actually data privacy and GDPR uh, GDPR concerns. It didn't get launched in twenty uh, in twenty earlier this year in 2019, um, and it actually just launched today, which is their uh, response to Tinder. So. For me, it's fascinating to see how these companies are continuing to evolve um, and actually to generate services that people are going to be willing to to pay money for.
0: Netflix, there's the the documentary which goes on Mm. about the power of these companies that they have with the algorithms, where you can swipe. Uh, they can see if you swipe on your phone, if you're saying a picture for so long, or you're flying through, and this is all pitching all that data. Like, on one side, it's really, really fascinating, and on the other side, it's really, really scary. Yeah. For me, I couldn't care what data people know about me. I, I, if they were to look into my life and my data, they would find it uh, very, very boring. But, <laughs> you know, the collective of me is a target for. Uh, you know, garden think, furniture. No nail, <laughs> na- no nail on the head, nail on the head, and that's the
1: same as me, right? We all have our, we all have our, our tastes and dislikes and all that kind of good stuff. But yeah, it is the collective, and that's where the, that's where things get interesting from an advertising and targeting perspective. Um, I, like I think, um, I I think this world of of, of when you interact with certain websites. They actually monitor, as you said, they monitor what you look at. There's actually technologies now that are able to detect where your eyeballs are actually spending time. Um, And when companies are now interviewing, which I think from a machine learning and artificial intelligence perspective, when companies are, you're filling out forms uh, online, they're actually assessing uh, how long you're spending at each question, Um, not just the question that you answer, but how long you're spending to see how fast you make decisions. so do you instantly know a decision? Are you more of a, I guess, a reflective person as the case may be? And these are all things which for me are fascinating at looking at technology. But what, I'm, what I try and do certainly in Trinity College Dublin as well is, is make people aware of these things. So it's just to go, guys, you know, the way you filled out that form, they're not only looking at your answers, they're looking at the time you spent on each answer. And that can be as equally as important
0: so so the guy is screwed who looked at a question and then goes to the loo and comes back and writes the question oh he was at that question for too long
1: (laughs) yeah uh that'll probably raise a flag yeah there's something something there
0: yeah i think technology is brilliant it is there is so much good stuff about it Uh, there is And always when you have the good stuff, then you have, you know, the underworld which use it as well. And then you have the governments who would try and and kick in on it. And sometimes when the governments kick in on it, they make an ass of it. Um, What advice would you say to someone, Laurie, that, you know, is embracing technology but is wary of, where is it going, especially with AI and you're probably scared half my audience as well saying people are watching their eyeballs. <laughs> you know. Now, look, what's what I say here? Look, I, I, I'd say it was anything in life
1: and I totally agree with you. Look, I, I am pro-technology and I'm pro-technology whether it's in the private sector or public sector to where it makes a difference in people's lives and it benefits us. That is the key thing, right? How is it benefiting our lives? And And to provide balance to the points I made, Facebook and it does benefit me, and actually adds value to my life because I connect with people that live in the other side of the world through it. Um, so it adds a huge amount of benefit, and I think Facebook has actually done a whole bunch of stuff in terms of um, providing grants to small businesses um, during COVID. I think like five hundred million, so ridiculous um, uh, amount of money, and in a positive way. But I think the key thing here is is for people to stay up to speed with the technologies. I think people hear about different technologies and they go, oh, I'll never understand that. Just be aware as to what they are, why they're used, how they're used, and how it impacts you. And that's the advice that I'd give to to anybody, including my own mother. You know, so she understands you don't have to be an expert. You understand, you know, oh, this technology is used for this and this is how it impacts me for good and bad. And then to your point at the start, then that enables people to make a decision. You know what? I don't want... And I don't want to use that app because there are security issues, right? Some people have, um, and some companies specifically have issues with Zoom and they don't like the security that's behind Zoom. And from an enterprise level, Zoom will not be allowed or um, it it won't be allowed in that organization. And I know a lot of organizations that use Zoom for a period, then were told from their security experts, they weren't allowed. And then the company is moved either to uh, Microsoft Teams, for example.
0: It it's interesting as well that you say that because in the very beginning Zoom was just a normal video um, communications and I've watched them because I've been using it in my own business for years. Mm. Um how much development they've actually put into it over the last couple of months. Like like we're running this on zoom and we're, I love it now because we're on the radio as well. We're we've split the recordings so we can, yours has been your, your voice is on one file, mine is on another and we can clean it up really well. But I deleted all the apps on my phone. I deleted Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and I deleted them all. And the reason why I deleted them because you know, iPhone, it was telling me you have 75 hours picking up your phone this week. And I went, holy God, like, and I, and by removing those apps from my phone, I'm only now picking up my phone, you know, five hours a week, which is not bad from 72 hours or whatever on a week basis.
1: No, uh, uh, look, I think that's it's definitely a positive development and, you know, definitely better work-life balance and uh, digital, yeah, non-digital it, balance.
0: But it's, the, you'll know, your kids are going, get off your phone and you're going, and stuff that's going on at the moment, it was drawing me into that fear based as well. And this is I can't, I can't get into that. Now, what do I do? I... I jump on Twitter or Facebook once a week and on my computer and have a bit of a look. And I jump onto um Twitter and I jump on Twitter as entertainment. I don't really look at what's going on in Europe. I look about the US presidential election because that's entertainment. And I look to see what's going on. And it's I don't watch TV any I realize in COVID I haven't switched the TV on in months. We might watch Netflix or for a half an hour or something we seven but we're we're talking we're communicating we're not using any we're not digitally doing anything anymore no well look um you're better than me that's, all,
1: that's probably the <laughs> best thing i can say um i probably need to put my phone away as i go to sleep and um, do that more often but yeah, look i you know the the technology that, that uh, and as you said at the top of the call the power of the technology that's in our panda hand is just phenomenal and it's only getting better uh as the you know the iphone 12 comes out just increasingly get better and better and better blockchain is a new technology um relatively new it's about 11 years old and it has a number of different features um and those unique features make it what it is and make it why so many countries or companies uh, are interested, as well as, as well as countries and governments. The first feature that I would say is that anything that you do on a blockchain. So if you transact on a blockchain is there and is there forever, it's very hard to edit, amend or alter. So what people call a, a blockchain or the interactions is that they're immutable. And what this results in is a, uh, is provenance. So you're able to tell who did what and when. So some applications of the technology would be that um, if a handbag is made in Italy or in Paris, that the handbag that you purchase, let's say, in Dublin or New York, you're able to trace it back to the beginning to, and verify that this is a Louis Vuitton handbag and it's not a knockoff, as the case may be. So that immutability is a really real key feature. A second thing around the technology is a thing called smart contracts. And smart contracts are self-executing contracts when certain criteria are met. If this event happens, trigger this payment. To give an example, in the insurance sector, if you, when we were able to travel, if you bought travel insurance, if your flight was delayed, you then had to go online, fill out a form, and you got some of your money back six weeks later, okay? Not a not a real easy experience. Lots of friction there. So by using smart contracts effectively what happens is the money after that one second your flight is delayed more than six hours it will go directly into your bank account you don't have to fill out any forms so that is a a great customer experience in the sense that you've you've um you bought a product and it's really easy to get the money back it's actually it's automated Uh, a third key feature is that it's decentralized a big word you hear a lot about And effectively what that means is that there's no one owner of the information. So Joe, if you and I and five other people were interacting using a blockchain, we'd all have a direct data set, which is the exact same as one another. So if I try and do something a bit weird or spend money that I don't have, it won't match with yours and the other folks that are part of that specific blockchain. So what you get out of this is transparency, which is the word that you mentioned earlier. You get a set of data, which is clear to everybody. Um, And also what happens is, you're able then to build in, you know what, for transactions to be recorded on this ledger. And If you think of a ledger as just a book, but instead of you having a book and me having a book and me ringing you up to confirm, do you have this number and I have that number? There's just one book and it sits in the middle. And effectively, we all agree on what goes into the book as it's written. So therefore, there's none of this back and forth in terms of reconciliations. So what you get is you get a single version of the truth. And this is what the economist calls blockchain as the truth machine um so you get a really good set of data and uh, which you can't edit amend or alter and then the fourth component is that it's cryptographically secure so this leads basically it's very very hard to amend or overpower the system um due to the way the the technology is designed now where does the name come from to finish where does blockchain come from effectively Blockchain is, it is basically you have one block of data that's created, which is called the Genesis block. Transactions or interactions are stored in that block. And that block basically gets sealed. And it's effectively uploaded to this chain um, or to this uh, to the cloud, is the case maybe. Then the next block is created. And that the second block is linked to the first block. And there's transactions in that. And the group of people agree that the transactions are correct or we write them all in the ledger. And then effectively we agree, yes, that those transactions are true. And then that is sealed. Then the next block is created. Block three is linked to block two. And so on we go. So if we get to block 522, if I was to make, try and make a change to block 521, I can't go in and just make that change because block 521 is linked to block 520. I have to go back all the way to the start. And that's where the magic and the power of blockchain is. It's why it's so hard to edit, amend, or tamper. Because um, you have to go back right the way to the beginning. And that is the key thing. Um, And so that's where the name comes from, chain of blocks, blockchain. And that is what I wanted to leave your listeners with. So don't be afraid of new technologies that are coming out. You don't need to be an expert on them. Know enough to be dangerous and that you can then make a decision as to whether you want to use them or be part of ecosystems that use them.
0: One question, can it be
1: hacked? I won't say that it, uh, it. It can never be hacked, right? And that's the way technology is at the moment. But to date, and the the blockchain was developed over eleven years ago. Now, it has not the underlying blockchain. Let's say which makes Bitcoin work. That has not been hacked once. Where there have been hacks specifically to Bitcoin is through wallets. So people and imagine okay. this, right? So people have wallets in which they're, they store their cryptocurrency. And then the wallet providers, they don't have good security around them. They have been hacked. But the underlying technology, which created the Bitcoin in the first place, that has not been successfully hacked once. And that is a big deal. 11 years on, no
0: successful hacks yeah. is, is significant. It's like by piggy bank. You know, no one can get it no one can find the key <laughs> <laughs> Laurie where can people reach out to you on LinkedIn just tell them uh, absolutely that's uh, Joe that's the, that's the
1: best place so it's just Laurie Keogh you'll find me on LinkedIn or at Laurie Keogh on Twitter they're uh, they're the,
0: the main places to find me and I'd be delighted to connect with uh, with your listeners Laurie Keogh thanks for coming on to the show And remember, here at Dublin South FM, we're interviewing plenty of people around the world, conscious leaders. And that's why we have the Conscious Business Podcast, which is part of the Conscious Business Academy, offering purpose, profit and prosperity in your life through soulful selling, mindful marketing, conscious leadership and creative culture. You want to reach out to me? It's joedalton.ie. You have an awesome week and take care and look after yourself.
1: You're listening to Joe Dalton on Dublin South FM, crossing the Rubicon.